And I know he watches me. I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. For his eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches. I know he 
Take our Bibles and turn over to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 12. I hope you enjoyed that quartet. One of the ladies has twins in her belly. <laughs> we count them alive already, by the way. They're already human beings, and they're alive in the womb. And uh, so we had a quartet this morning. Now, I only heard two of the voices, but I'll tell you what, those two blended really good. Exodus chapter 12, Exodus chapter 12, we're going to begin in verse 1 today, <clears throat> there we read in Exodus chapter 12 beginning in verse 1, the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, ye shall take it out from the sheep and, or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. They shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs shall they, uh, excuse me, um, they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs and with his uh, pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning, and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it. With your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste, and it is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood... I will pass over you. The plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Father, we come to you today and we ask, Lord, that you'd bless, Father, our message this morning. Father, the simplicity of your gospel. Then, Father, the simplicity of the word of God. Father, let it be real in our lives. And, Lord, we thank you for the privilege it is to be able to come to this place and worship you, but then also to be able to access you in heaven through prayer. 
We're begging you to show up in a mighty way here, to walk these aisles and to do a work in each of our hearts and lives. I'm asking you to fill me with your Holy Ghost. May I be literally a tool in your hand. May I, be, uh, may, may I simply be your mouthpiece today. I ask, dear God, that you would just be with every listening ear and may we hear with spiritual ears and may the truth of the Word of God be implanted deep into our hearts and may it perform exactly what you would have it in our lives. We need you, Father. We can do nothing without you. Bless this service. May you be glorified in it. In Christ's name, amen. Joseph's brothers envied him to the point of hatred. It wasn't that long ago we had a program here and addressed and dealt with that issue. We saw it before our very eyes on this stage. They would ultimately conspire together to kill him. But as God would have it, he would instead be sold into slavery. The Midianites would come along and drag him out of that pit and take him on into Egypt where he would be sold to Potiphar and there would serve. He would be falsely accused, of course, by Potiphar's wife and cast into prison. But God was not finished with Joseph. While in prison, he met two of Pharaoh's servants, one a butler, the other a baker. Both had dreams of which he interpreted. To make a long story short, Joseph would be introduced to Pharaoh, and he would uncover the meaning of Pharaoh's dreams as well, and seven years of plenty would come about, and seven years of famine would take place. Folks from all over the kingdom would assemble and come to Egypt in order to buy food over those seven years of famine. It wouldn't be that awfully long into all of it that Joseph's brothers would show up. The very ones who had sold him into slavery, the very ones who had conspired against him, the very ones who had sought his life in the beginning. They came face to face with Joseph. He would reveal himself to his brethren. And he would quickly invite the rest of his family to join him in Egypt. Seventy souls went into Egypt, the Bible says. Seventy souls. Four hundred years later, a nation came forth. Through the course of those years, Pharaoh would pass on. The next Pharaoh would not remember good old Joseph. And as a result, the Israelites were put to severe bondage. They were enslaved by the Egyptians, and they served the Egyptians. They cried out to their God. They begged God for deliverance. And finally, one day, God sent them Moses. Moses would arrive in Egypt after being banished for 40 years. He would approach Pharaoh and he would tell him on God's behalf, Let my people go. And of course, Pharaoh would have none of it. And so God began to send plagues, one after the other. Water turning to blood. Frogs and lice and the grievous moraine that killed so much cattle, boils and hail and fire, locusts and darkness over the land. Nine plagues. And after the nine plagues, Pharaoh's heart was still as hard as a millstone. But that was going to change. And now we arrive at our text. 
In Exodus chapter 12, we note that something very significant is happening. Now, when something significant happens, we record the date, don't we? Israel would restructure their entire calendar, beginning with the the deliverance of the bondage in Egypt. The very day that they were delivered, they would kind of reset their whole schedule based upon it. Now, there should be at least two major events recorded in your mind that will never escape your memory. One is the day you were born. I mean, even kids remember their birthday. And when you're a kid, you delight in telling everybody how old you are. And as you get older, you detest it. So how old are you? None of your business. I feel really young. You don't look it. I mean, I teach the singles class in in church, and today I was telling them, I said, when I stand up here and talk to you, I said, you see an old man. I mean, 60 years old compared to a 22 or 24-year-old is old. The day you were born, though, is a significant day. But also the day you were born again. Significant day. One to be remembered. It should never escape your memory. To commemorate Israel's deliverance from Egypt, God commanded the celebration of what would become known as the Passover. And, then, and, and it makes sense, does it not? I mean, we're going to see in just a moment that uh, the destroyer passed over the Israelites. And so Passover was a, a pretty good name for this particular remembrance. At this first Passover, every family was to set aside a lamb. A lamb without spot, a lamb without blemish on the 10th day. They were to care for that lamb for four days or until the 14th day. And then in the evening, on the 14th day, they were to kill that lamb and shed its blood. When we look at that lamb and we consider the passage before us, we can't help but see something about that lamb. First of all, we note that the lamb was a sacrifice. Verses 6 and 7 of the passage simply says this. It says, and ye shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month that the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take take of the blood and strike it on the two side side posts and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. He says, now listen, this is a sacrifice. This lamb is a sacrifice. You on that 14th day in the evening will kill that lamb and shed its blood and you will take that blood and you will put it over the top of that door and on the side posts of that door. It's a sacrifice. The lamb is a sacrifice. But we note also that that lamb was a substitute. In verse 12 and 13, He goes on to say, And I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. The Egyptians have withstood the plagues that God sent 
for nine plagues, they said, no, we will keep those Israelites here. They will remain in bondage. They will continue to serve us. And God said, no, I don't think that's how it's going to go. I'm going to send the destroyer, and he's going to come through and take the firstborn, not just of your children, but of all things. And he says, the bottom line is, is that you better kill a lamb on that 14th day in the evening. You better put the blood on the sides and over the top of that lintel. You better cover it with blood, because when I come through, if I don't see that blood, I'm coming in. But if I see that blood, I'll pass by. I'll pass over you. That lamb took their place. The death of that lamb protected those within that home. The death of that lamb kept them from ultimately losing their lives. See, the lamb was a sacrifice, but the lamb was a substitute. And finally, the lamb was a savior. In verse 29 and 30, the Bible says, And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of cattle. Can I say just quickly as I read through that, I couldn't help but think God is no respecter of persons. You know, in this life, people that may have benefits and privileges that maybe others don't, but my friend, let me tell you, when it comes to sin and it comes to consequences of sin, when it comes to God looking upon mankind, I'm telling you, he sees us all on equal ground. And let me tell you something, he'll judge us on equal ground. The Bible says in verse 30, And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt. Where there was not a house, where there was not one dead. I don't know about you, but I can't even imagine waking up to a child that's, that's no longer living. And sadly enough, in this congregation, there might be somebody who has done that. And may I say, I can't imagine how your heart broke. But in Egypt, it wasn't one home, and it wasn't two homes. It wasn't just a few streets full. It was the entire nation, and all the firstborn had died. Whoever did not have that sacrifice over their doors and on their lintel. Whoever did not have the lamb as a substitute, whoever did not have a lamb as the Savior that day, lost life. Boy, these people were delivered from death and bondage in verse 30. We see it. But they were also delivered to serve the living God in verse 31. Notice the, the Egyptians lost their lives, the firstborn, but not the Israelites. Why? Because of that blood. The blood of that lamb. But not only were they delivered from death and bondage, but they were also delivered to serve the living God. In verse 31, and he called for Moses and Aaron that night. This is talking about Pharaoh. Rise up and get you forth among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord. As you have said, just go, get out of here. They didn't leave Egypt simply to escaped slavery. They left Egypt so that they could serve their God. You say, well, what's all this have to do with us? Well, now the message. Here it is. 
The Passover instructions began with each family, as we noted, selecting a male lamb that was free from blemishes, free from spot. The Lord required the best from His people, and He still does, mind you. And this unblemished sacrifice points to none other than Jesus Christ. John the Baptist makes this very clear in John chapter 1, verse 29. Turn there, would you please? John chapter 1, verse 29. Well, that Old Testament provides us with an unbelievable picture of redemption. And in this Old Testament, we see a picture of what God is doing in the new. And we see here that that lamb represents someone, someone very special, very unique. None other than Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John, speaking of John the Baptist, John 1, verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Can I say that even as that Lamb was, Jesus is our sacrifice. The Apostle Peter reminded believers that they were set free by, quote, the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot in 1 Peter 1, verse 19. I mean, let me read that again. That they were set free by the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The Passover lamb symbolizes Jesus Christ who was perfectly, just perfectly sinless without spot, without blemish, who gave himself as a sacrifice for sin. The law of Moses required priests to make a regular and a very repeated sacrifice on behalf of the people and on behalf of themselves. Constantly and continually, those priests of the Old Testament would sacrifice a lamb or a goat or a bullock, and they would take the blood and they would go into the mercy seat or possibly just sprinkle it on the altar to, to deal with and to address the sin of the nation, the sin of, their, of themselves, and the sin of the people consistently and continually. Every year after year after year, they had to continue to have more sacrifices and to provide for the people and their sin, to cover the sin Guilt offerings, sin offerings, offerings of atonement, and much more. But those sacrifices they offered only temporarily covered the sins of the people. In contrast to those sacrifices, however, Jesus' sacrifice was once and for all. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27, the Bible says, "...who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice." First, for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. Again, first that priest had to deal with his own sin, and then he would deal with the sin of the people. He had to offer sacrifices on behalf of himself, and then he'd offer sacrifices on behalf of the people. He said, no, that's not how it goes now. In Hebrews 7, 27, who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice, first on his own sins, uh, for his own sins, and then for the people's. For this he did talking about Christ, this he did once. When he offered up himself, it says. 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth, Emmanuel, God with us, and he lived a sinless, perfect life. 
He was indeed the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And there He hung on Calvary, shedding His precious, perfect blood on behalf of you and me and the rest of the world. He did that as a sacrifice. Even as the Lamb was, Jesus is our sacrifice. Even as the Lamb was, Jesus is our substitute. Jesus Christ died in our place when He was crucified on Calvary. I think about that Lamb. If that Lamb would not have been killed, if that blood would not have been shed back there in Egypt, those Israelites would have lost their firstborn too. That Lamb became a substitute It's life for the life of their children. May I say to you that Jesus Christ is our substitute. And we deserve to be the ones placed on that cross to die because of our sin and our sin nature, because of the wickedness that we do in our own lives. But Christ took the punishment on himself. He took the punishment in himself. And he took our place on Calvary. He substituted himself. And he took what we rightly deserved. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Oh my, he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Jesus didn't deserve to die on Calvary. He was perfect and sinless. He of all people should have lived. But he died in your place and mine. He became our substitute. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, For His own self bear our sins in His own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. We can't help but think of Isaiah chapter... Uh, uh, chapter um, oh, I just lost my train of thought. 53. Verses 4 through 6. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, became our substitute. And he is our substitute. Even as the lamb was, Jesus is our sacrifice. Even as the lamb was, Jesus is our substitute. But even as the lamb was, Jesus is our Savior. Without Jesus, human beings are hopelessly and helplessly enslaved by sin. And there's not one thing you and I could ever do to be holy on our own and in ourselves. We can turn over a new leaf if we try, but it won't be enough because we are already tainted and corrupted from within. Matter of fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I can't help but think about the precious grandchildren that God has given me at the age of 43. That was a slip of the tongue. Let's see, it's actually a few years older. But nonetheless, 
I can't help but think of those precious grandbabies. It's interesting they begin to grow so quickly, don't they? I mean, they're little tiny little things and you can hardly hold them without worrying about breaking them. And it isn't long before they get a little taller, a little broader, and pretty soon they get real chunky. I kind of like when they get that chunky and I like to kind of grab those thighs. Squeeze them. I'm not a cheek person. I'm like, Ugh. But they're cute as buttons. But you know what I found? The older they get, you never have to teach them to do right. You, uh, to do wrong. You got to teach them to do right. I mean, the first thing they want to do is grab something off your face and rip off your glasses and tear out somebody's earrings. And you're like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't touch that. And if you're not careful, you feel like you're, you know, you're like, whoa, you know. And you got to teach them not to do that. Why? Because whether or not we believe it or not, whether or not they're cute as buttons or not isn't the issue. The fact is, is down deep, they're just sinners at the root like we are. And they're going to grow up in their sin and they're going to do bigger sins and worse sins if they don't get it addressed and dealt with. That's why we teach and, teach and train our children. That's why discipline's important. That's why rules and the law is important in our country. Because people by nature are sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And we were born on a one-way road to, unfortunately, a place called hell. We were rightly condemned for our sin the Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin. We could say the penalty of sin is death. And to fully understand that word death in the Bible, we have to run all the way over to the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verse 14. And that passage simply says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Second death? Like one isn't bad enough? So sin causes all mankind to die? The wages of sin is death? Physical? Yes. The fact that we all die is proof positive that we're all sinners at the root. Everyone will die at some point. But the Bible says that word death can't be defined by simply one side. There's two sides of the coin. There's the physical death, yes, but there's also a spiritual death. Again, the passage says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Do you know what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden? God placed them in the garden and he told them, you can eat of every tree of the garden except the one that's in the midst. The day that you eat of that tree, you will surely die. Well, we know what they did, exactly what we would have done. They did what God said not to, and they ate the fruit. And the fact is, is that God had to keep his word. So he removed them from the garden, separated himself from his very creation. He, he had to separate himself because of that sin. Out of the garden they go, they begin to age, and they surely died. But wait a second. The biggest thing that it cost them was the presence of God. And can I tell you that when we die in our sins, it's the second death. It's a spiritual death to be separated forever in a place called the lake of fire. For whosoever was not written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. That's the next verse. 
That was the verse following the fact of the two deaths. Listen, we must understand that death and hell are cast in the lake of fire. It's the second death. Therefore, you will die one time physically because of sin, but you will also be separated forever from God in a place called the lake of fire forever and ever and ever because of undealt sin. That's true in my life. It's true in my family's life. It's true in everyone's life. But even as the Lamb was, Jesus is our Savior. Let me tell you what, it's not over yet. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. He says, I got a gift I want you to have. And today, can I tell you, the Lamb of God is extending a gift called eternal life. He has hung on Calvary already. He's paid the penalty of sin. He's shed his precious perfect blood as a sacrifice for your sin. He took your place as a substitute, and he wants to be your Savior today. He lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. And therefore, even though he didn't deserve to die, he did. And although he died a horrific death on Calvary, he did that to pay the price for our sin. In John 10, 17 and 18, the Bible says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. This idea, who killed Jesus? The Jews did. They cried, crucify him. Well, they did. The Romans did. They put the nails in his hands and in his feet. And yes, they did. But when it's all said and done, Jesus wants to be very clear here. There wasn't one Jew, there wasn't one Gentile that put me on that cross. I put myself on that cross. I decided to die. I decided to give my life. No man took my life from me. I laid it down for you. Because only Jesus could be our Savior. Man, he loves us that much. That he laid down his life for us. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, 24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. In 1 John 2, 2, it says, for he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus alone fulfilled the righteous demands of a holy God. And I was born as a child. My parents that are sinners had me, and I was born a sinner. And I had children just like me, sinners. And they have children now just like them, sinners. But thankfully, Jesus Christ said, I'm t I, I want an option here. I don't want my creation going to hell. I don't want those that I love so much dying and spend an eternity away from me and in a place called the lake of fire. I want them to spend an eternity with me. And so he came and he took his place on Calvary and died for the sin of the world and became the Savior. Because of his death and his resurrection, anyone who trusts in him can have eternal life today. To the person who trusts him, Jesus Christ becomes the Savior. You say, wait, he is the Savior though, right? He is, but... Can I say this, and I want to 
encourage you and help you to understand this. It's so important to know this. Jesus died for the world, no doubt. And the blood that he shed is sufficient payment for every human being. Hold on, though. Remember the picture? The doorposts, the lintels that get that thing all bloodied up good, because when I see the blood, I will pass over you. Remember? That lamb and its, its, its unblemished, it's called in the Old Testament, blood. was on that doorpost, above that door. And when, G, when the Lord saw that, he passed over. Hold on. It wasn't enough that the lamb died. It wasn't enough that the blood was shed. That blood had to be applied. It wasn't enough that the lamb died. It wasn't enough that the blood was shed. The blood had to be applied. If it was not applied, it did no good for the person. And can I tell you today that Jesus Christ died on Calvary 2,000 years ago and he shed his perfect, precious blood for all humanity. And three days and three nights he was in the grave and up from the grave he arose. But if you don't personally apply the blood of Christ to your life, you'll pay for your own sin. He provided the sacrifice. He became the substitute. He is the Savior. But you and I must consciously receive and accept what he did on that cross as payment for our sin. Will you allow the blood of Christ to be painted across the doorposts of your heart? Will you allow that blood to enable you to escape the penalty of sin, which is death, both physical and spiritual? Today, God brought you here with a purpose, for a reason. And this simple little message, nothing complicated, has been extended, shared. Why? Because there's not one human being that will ever see heaven unless they've applied the blood of Jesus Christ to their life by calling upon him in faith and trusting what he did for them as payment for their sin. In Romans 10, 13, the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saved from their sin and saved from the consequences of it. I'll do it later, preacher. I'll take care of that some other time. You may not have tomorrow. There's some things that I need to accomplish and do. I don't have time for things like that. Let me tell you something. You don't have time not to do things like that. You better get that one settled. 
Will you allow the blood of Christ to be painted across the doorposts of your heart? Will you? I hope you will before you leave today. See, as the Lamb was, Jesus is. We must accept Christ and His finished work on Calvary. We must allow the blood of Jesus to be applied to our life. And when He sees the blood, He'll pass over us. That call coming in? You hear it? I believe it's the Lord trying to get your attention and say, you better listen to what that preacher's saying. You better settle it today while there's still hope, while there's still time. I'm trying to get a hold of you. I'm calling you. I'm speaking to your heart right now. Do it today. Don't delay. And if you're a child of God today, the moment that God delivered them out of bondage, and may I say that sin is bondage, just like Egypt's a picture of the world, God delivered them out of the world and from their sin. The moment they walked out of Egypt, they went to worship their God, to serve their God. If you're a child of God today, let me say this. After everything God's done for us, we too should, being, after being taken out of the world, after being given salvation, after being given the hope of everlasting life, turn and say, I want to serve you, Lord. That's why you delivered me. I'm going to do something on your behalf now with my life. I now have purpose. And it's to serve you, to please you, Lord. And that's what our goal is. That's what our desire should be as a believer in Christ. To please the Lord, the God who created us, and the Lord who saved us. Father, we come to you. We thank you for the simplicity of your word. And we thank you, Father, for just the pictures of the Old Testament and how they apply to us today in the New. And there may be those in our midst, Lord, who have yet to receive and accept Christ. They, they believe that He died, that He was buried. They may believe even that He rose again. They believe that He is Jesus Christ, and that He lived a perfect, sinless life. But Lord, until they accept His sacrifice until they receive and accept Jesus as their Savior by calling on Him and allowing the blood to be applied to their life, they will miss heaven and instead spend an eternity paying for their own sin when in reality you've already done that. They just must let you do that. Thank you that you did that in my life. That I Thank you for allowing me to become forgiven by calling on you. And Lord, today there may be others that need to do that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder, anybody say, preacher, that's me. i got to get that settled. I've never, ever, ever invited Christ in my life, but I see that I need that blood applied to my life. I'm a sinner. Yes, I have no question about that. You could ask anybody. They know, my, they know me enough to know I'm just a normal Joe. I'm just like anybody else. I'm a sinner too, but I need Jesus today. I've got to settle this. Preacher, I don't have it settled today. I don't know for sure heaven's my home, but I would like to get it settled today. Who, who would say, that's me, preacher, with an uplifted hand? Let me pray for you. I don't have that settled today. Preacher, pray for me. I don't have that settled. Can I see your hand? You say, well, I'm just visiting today. I don't care. I'll, I'll pray for you anyway. That's okay. Let me pray for you. Can I do that for you? You say, well, I've come here all the time. That's all right. I'll pray for you. Anybody like that? Please, let me help you. Let me pray for you. Let me pray with you. Anybody? Okay. Maybe you didn't have the courage to raise your hand. Maybe you're saying, forget that junk. I'm not raising my hand today. No way. Get, get, get put on the radar of that preacher. He'll be all over me. 
nope, I wouldn't do that to you, but let me just say this. I'm going to pray anyway in just a moment. And if you should have raised your hand, I'm going to pray for you. And if you're a child of God and you need to get some things dealt with in an altar, you come too as well in just a moment. Father, right now I pray, Lord, for those whose hands probably should have been raised that did not raise them. And I ask, dear God, you give them the very courage they need in just a moment as the music begins to play to step out in the aisle and come see Brother Kavanaugh at the front. If they're a lady, we'll have a lady show them from the Bible the precious promises that will help to liberate them and free them from bondage of sin and give them hope and everlasting life in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you'd be with them. If they're a, a man, we'll have a man show them the same thing. But, Lord, we want you to do a work in their lives. Now, bless us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand every head.